Okay, well, it's my pleasure, my privilege, something else beginning with P, I want something else, my something or other to bring God's word to you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you that you have not left us alone nor comfortless. Jesus, our Savior, as we've already said, saved us by dying on the cross. And Jesus, you have risen from the dead. You have ascended into heaven. And Lord, we worship you. But you've not left us on our own. You're not like some coach shouting from the sidelines. You have sent the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit to us, who is abroad in the church today. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. We ask for your help to understand. May there be revelation in this place. May it be as if scales or blindness or darkness falls from the eyes of our heart. May we see more of you this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that my words would be effective. I hope they're entertaining. I hope they're engaging. Yeah, but I'll, I will forego all of that if you would bless me with fruitfulness and effectiveness. So now, Lord God, have your way among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, uh, welcome again. My name's uh, Chris Lane, Senior Pastor, and uh, we have the last, over the last eight weeks been doing a series called Gospel in Life. It's been a great series, and uh, we've had a lot of good feedback. I think it's done us the power of good, and uh, each week as we've gone through the teaching, we've used a little 10-minute clip, and I'll be doing exactly the same today, a 10-minute video clip in the middle. We weren't going to use those uh, to begin with. We were just going to use them as part of our preaching team preparation. But we thought they were so good, we'd, we would use them, and, and they've been a blessing. And basically, this Gospel in Life series has been about how do we get this good news about Christ well and truly embedded in our own hearts, and then flowing out of our hearts into our community, this community of which we're a part, this community of believers, and indeed this community of St. Albans and Hertfordshire. And then finally, this, how do we get this out of our community into the world at large? So there's been a progression from inward to outward and, and beyond, and that's what we've been doing. And today, this, this last session, and I've been excited about this, it's on eternity. Next weekend, as we all know, it's Easter weekend, and we've got, you know, the kids are doing singing and dancing or whatever they're doing, and that's great, you know, and we've got the baptisms, and it's, I'm so looking forward to it, and I cannot think of a better way of setting us up than thinking about eternity. Personally, this is something I feel energized and excited about. The first stirring in me of anything remotely like Christian faith was when I was about 11 or 12. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. In fact, God just wasn't part of the vocabulary. We didn't even do the sort of Christmas and Easter thing. You know, we just did our own thing. But when I was about 11 or 12, a history master who was a Christian at the beginning of a history lesson talked a little bit about his faith. There's a story there and I'm not going to go into it, but he talked a bit about his faith and something stirred in me because he talked about eternity. And I was only 11 or 12, what did I know anything about anything? But I, I just did have this much of a sense that there was more to life than meets the eye, even at that age. And I had a sense that 
that actually there was a great river of life that flowed on, and I was part of that, and, and it was eternal, and I don't know where that came from. Now, as a minister of the gospel for these 30 years, I know that it says, actually, in the scriptures, in the book of Proverbs, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. So whether you are a believer or not, you, you have this genetic code, bit of genetic code inside you. God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. And that little string of code went twang in me when that history master spoke of it in passing. I wanted to, I wanted to ask him questions. What, what do you mean by that? What, what, what do you mean? You're the first person I've heard talk about eternity in those terms. And, and something began to stir me. Now, it took years before things actually kicked in, finally fell into place. But... That was a beginning, so I'm excited about this topic. I'm excited about this subject, as you can tell. God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. Talking about eternity, and Rich mentioned the M1, I thought I died and was in eternity this week. I had to come go up to Brest, and I was driving back, and down the M6 there, and suddenly, of course, there's some terrible accident. They had to close off the M1. They had to fly in helicopters. It was ghastly. I didn't see it, but I felt the effects of it. And Gladys, my utterly deranged sat-nav lady. Anybody got one of those? I think they're demonized. You know, it's all sort of high-tech, but I think they're demons that live in these things. Well, Gladys, in her soft, sort of dulcet tones, lulled me into a false sense of security and said, take the next left, Chris. Take the next left. Go on. So I took the next left and ended up in a country lane with a 16-wheeler Pan Dutch Pantechnicum behind me with an ice cream van and a woman with about six kids going crazy in front of me, stopped, static. I thought, it will never end. And I rang Fliss and I said, I'm stuck here. Nothing's moving. The whole of the northwest of England is a parking lot. And it was, it was horrendous. Everybody, everybody's Gladys had said, take the next left. And we were rammed down some little B road. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. Anyway, I got out of it, but I'm here. An angel came down and transported me away. Not quite, but oh. But it felt like eternity. I was there so long that I forgot what life was beyond my car. Have you ever been in that kind of a traffic jam where you lose all hope of seeing your loved ones again? Where you start scrabbling around in the glove box to see if there's one half-sucked Murray Mint that you didn't eat the last time you were stuck in a traffic jam like this. It was terrible. Eternity. It felt like an eternity. But actually, when we talk about eternity in this context, and actually I read it in that John 3:16 quote, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever might believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, eternal life. In the Christian context, eternity is not some terrible parking lot traffic jam of boredom, but the two words eternity and life go hand in hand. They are locked together, life life. 
And God has plans for us. God has plans for our life, and they're all good. They're all good. But you know, the key to understanding God's plans for life is that we need to see his plans for life for us in the context of eternity. It's all too short. We tend to want it all and we want it now. You know, we live in a, we, we live in a culture and a society which, which just expresses impatience. I saw a lot of that on the M6 on Tuesday. We, we, we want it all, we want it now, and we get very frustrated when life doesn't go as we had planned for it, or planned for our kids, or our husband, or, and we begin to feel like victims, or somebody's got it in for us. The, the key to understanding God's plans are, for, for life for us is that we need to see the big picture. We need to see that there is, there is an eternal dimension to what God has. And this next Tuesday, you may be sat in a parking lot type traffic jam. You may be. And you'll think back to this talk. Remember this. We need to consider this life that God has for us in an eternal context. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's his plan for us. Isn't it extraordinary? You know, Satan and the world have done an, a fantastic job of, of disinformation. People consider church, people consider the Lord, people consider Jesus, people consider God as irrelevant, boring. They consider the very source of life as being nothing. It's always been that way. When Jesus walked around those, those dusty roads in Galilee, as I shall be doing in a few weeks' time for the first time in my life, people counted him as nothing. They said to one another, well, wait a minute, who, who does he think he is? Getting above his station, isn't he? He's, uh, he's Mary's son. I know him. I knew him was a whippersnapper. I remember chasing him out of my backyard. Who does he think he is? And the scriptures say this, the cornerstone that was, the, the stone the builders rejected. And the image there is of a master cross and picking, you know, just as they built the abbey here, they picked up raw stone and there's something about a stonemason's skill that he can see a lump of stone and he can see the potential and then he dresses, they call it dressing the stone and he makes it just what he wants. And the picture here is that the, the, the stonemason picked up the stone and said, nah, it's no good for nothing. And the writer in the book the book says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's always been like that. People have always said, Christianity, Pfft. Jesus, Pfft. Pfft. they don't give it a second thought. So anyway, God has plans. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then there's church, of course, and I have to admit, for me, one of the biggest problems, and I'll be honest about this, let's be completely honest, one of, one of the biggest problems I had with God was not so God, it was the church. You know, I was, I was talking to our burn church on, down at the Horn last Sunday and just reminding them of a little story, and I again, I don't want to tell this story in full because I want to get sidetracked from what I want to, the punchline I want to give, I don't want to rush that. 
But I remember saying, uh, one of my mentors when I was studying in the ministry said this, he told a story of an Iranian taxi driver, a Muslim, whom he asked, you know, what would, you, what would the church need to look like if, if you were gonna come to church? And the guy just thought for a while and he said, well, they would need to love God. Huh. Not even sure they do that. And then he got a bit pensive and he said, yeah, they would need to love one another. And actually that's interesting because Jesus said that and he said, you know, as you love one another, they will know that you are my disciples. And thirdly, they need to take care of the poor. That's what this Iranian taxi driver said. Love God, love one another, take care of the poor. I think the church is getting better out there. The church over the last 20 years has gone through a bad time. The church is, has, has, has been through tough times, but there is springtime in the church. Do you know that even as we are sitting here worshiping, standing worshiping, this last weekend, Friday, nearly 40,000 people, 40,000, 40,000 people, met in London at the Excel Center and did an all-night prayer and praise service. That's just one denomination. It's called the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It started in Nigeria. It's a wonderful denomination. Their leader, Pastor Adeboye, is an extraordinary and humble man. The church of Jesus Christ is growing. And it's like every good thing that grows. It's like when you plant a seed. You know, I remember as a kid, my mom got a bag of seed. We planted it in the garden, and every morning I'd run out to see if I could see this plant, and there was nothing there. But there was life there. And after a little while, two little paddle-tight Leaves poke through the top, just little paddles. You, you wouldn't have known what kind of plant it was from that. And wonder of wonders, this thing grew and developed and became something beautiful. At least that was until the, the dog ate it, but you know, that's. So the church, this, this silly, preoccupied, self-absorbed, inconsequential, irrelevant thing, actually, like Christ, has a future, an eternal perspective. Isaiah 60, verses one and two puts it this way. In fact, we'll just throw it straight up on the screen if we can, Matt. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Your day has come, it's saying. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. There's a lot of despair in the world, a lot of darkness. These are the darkest times, so it was seen for many, many parts of our world. Turmoil in the Middle East. Who knows where it will end? Turmoil in our own country. 250,000 people march in protest against the government. Turmoil in, in the Pacific area, turmoil in, in Japan, turmoil here, there, and everywhere. Darkness, deep darkness covers the earth. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. It is times like this that people... They're desperate, they can't seem to control their life anymore. They see their investments, their pensions, their, 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 their families don't, go, don't, don't do what they wanted to do or they envision for them. They, that lovely little pink thing you cradled at, at weeks old has now become a handful and a problem and is in trouble with the police and doesn't talk to you and you think, oh my God. 
But at this time, at this time, a voice speaks out. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Bless you. Well, we're going to just sit back now and watch 10 minutes with Tim Keller, the last in our series. There are some wonderful phrases in this. I was watching it again. I've watched it a few times. I was watching it again this week. There are some wonderful expressions, memorable phrases. So enjoy. I love that. I love that imagery. This is just the cover and title page. And everything that we've known and everything we've experienced and thought we knew will turn out just to be not even the first chapter. But in the world to, to come, in, in that which God has in his heart to release to us, every chapter will be better than the next. What a wonderful, what an extraordinary vision. So contrary to what I thought for many years, even as a Christian, I thought that God was going to come along and, and, and press a reset button, restore all the sort of, all the settings back to manufacturers, you know, instructions like you can do on your hi-fi or your iPhone or something. But the reality was, and the reality is, that God wants to renew all things. And let's read this little passage here, Revelation chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Everything I thought about God and thought about heaven and thought about eternity involved me going up there and leaving this behind. The truth is the opposite. God's dwelling becomes one with ours. God comes down and renews creation. Renews, what was that expression that Tim used? Renews the shalom, the wholeness. Not just peace for a few moments as you grab a cup of tea before you take the kids to school. Not just that kind of temporary passing peace. But as Jesus put it, a peace which passes all understanding. A sense of well-being, healing, and wholeness. I love the imagery of the tree of life starting there in the garden and not being mentioned, being forgotten about like some sort of stage prop in some back property room. Suddenly, that which was stuffed away is in the very center of the new city. The new city to which the nations come where culture is redeemed, where community is redeemed, where a vision and passion for the world is redeemed. Wonderful. Have you ever wondered why we have a tree in the atrium? Maybe you didn't even know we had a tree in the atrium. I've, I've, I've talked about the tree in the atrium to people and they say, what tree? I didn't know there was a tree in the atrium. They've missed it. There is a tree in the atrium. It's part of that sense of, of 
we have an eternal perspective. And what of the church and all of this? What of us now? What, what, are, what, are, what are we about? Well, Jesus said he was about his father's business, bringing the kingdom in, and that's what we're about. But I came, up with a, came across a nice little illustration which might help us here. When we think about the church now and all its shortcomings and its difficulties and its struggling to be, be everything that God has in mind for it. Fliss and I, as, you, as, as some of you, many of you may be, I don't know, we live on the, the Salisbury Village estate. 2,000 homes built in the last seven years towards Hatfield. We were one of the first people to move on to that estate. We just felt it was the right thing to do and God seemed to open up a way. And when we went to see that place, there wasn't a lot to see, to be honest. There was a lot of mud, a lot of piles of bricks, a lot of kind of, you know, part of the old buildings had been pulled down. It looked like some, you know, set from some apocalyptic film. But we went into this porter cabin, and uh, in the porter cabin there was a map and a bit of a sort of an architect's model. And we looked at the map and we thought, yeah, oh, right, okay. So. All right, so okay, so that way. Oh, and there's a, right, so there's, a, there's gonna be a primary school there, okay. Uh, and we've got a country park there that, man, that, that looks good. And it kind of began to help us to see past the mud, and that's really all it was, outside the window. And we saw that, and then the, then the salesperson said, well, we do have a show home, would you like to see that? And we said, yeah, sure, why not, yeah. So we, we went out and we had a look in the show home, and. We wandered around the show home, forgetting about the reality that was the old airfield at that time, and we walked around the show home. And yes, it wasn't entirely to our taste, needless to say, but as we walked around and we looked at the size of the rooms and we started to imagine our furniture in there, and we began to think of what it could be like, and a dream became to be, began to be birthed in us about this new community with country parks and primary schools and neighbors and friends, a new beginning, and this home, and you know what? We went out and we put a 500 pound deposit on. And the church is like that. It's, it's in some sense, it's not the finished article, we're in process, but it's, it's the show home. It's, it's that place where we begin to model, more than just bricks and mortar, it has to be said, we begin to model the new community the new shalom, the new peace, the new eternity. It's a place where people can come and begin to get a taste. So they go away with perhaps a few more questions, perhaps even some questions that they weren't looking for or even didn't want. Questions like, can this be for real? Can what I heard and saw and experienced there be, be real? Well, that's for you to decide. But we follow one, even Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. He is not dead, he is alive, he is risen from the dead, and we are gonna be celebrating that next Sunday, as indeed on every Sunday. And he is the one, the stone that the builders rejected, the one that people counted as nothing, as silliness, a crutch for weak people. And he is the one that suddenly will be at the center of all things. He will stand, he will raise his hands as he looks and 
surveys the new creation, the, the renewed world, the new eternity, and he will say this, I make all things new. I make all things new. And I guess the question for us is, seriously, do you want to work for the new thing? Do, do, you, do you want to work, give your life, make sometimes painful sacrifices? It has to be said, this is just the cover and title page after all. Do we want to give ourselves to the new thing? Or are you going to stay with the old? <laughs> well, uh, I know which way I'm going. And it's my privilege to serve a community of believers who also made that decision too. We're going to work for the new thing, the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand and pray? And we'll have the worship team come up and we'll finish with a song. And then we'll go and have coffee and do a bit of community together. How about that? And have a look at the tree if you've missed it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so easy just to get bogged down in the moment. A traffic jam on the M6. Help us to regain that eternal perspective. And Lord God, help us, Lord God, to embrace the new thing that is you, Jesus. To leave behind our sin and our bitterness and our anger and our regrets. May we come to you and, Lord, that which was once fatal to us, the presence of God, that now, Jesus, is life and bread and water to us because you have made it possible for us to come into the Father's presence by offering us forgiveness of sins. And we want, Lord God, to be builders of the new, part of the solution, and not just part of the problem. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.